Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. My podcasts often deal with distressing situations which are not suitable for children and some adults, for that matter. Some of what I discuss may trigger uncomfortable emotions. If that does occur, please reach out to Lifeline, Beyond Blue or any other support service or person you feel comfortable with. Please keep in mind that there's always two sides, sometimes more, to every story. My guests provide their recollection of an event or incident, sharing their thoughts and their emotions, but it's theirs. Not everybody will agree with them. I never want to tell any guest what to say or what not to say. So there will always be others that see it differently. And I understand that. Hello, I'm Narelle Fraser. I was a cop with Victoria Police for 27 years, 15 of those as a detective, having dealt with all types of crime from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. I witnessed the effect crime has on those involved and became one of those victims myself in 2012 when I was diagnosed with PTSD. However, out of adversity comes other opportunities like this, my own podcast. I'm still pinching myself. Thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. The interviewer must come from a perspective where the focus is solely and exclusively on the interviewee. Chris O'Connor, APM, was a detective senior sergeant at the Child Exploitation Squad when I arrived there in around 1994 to do what we call temps. That's temporary duties at a squad that you might be interested in to join one day if you want to pursue the career path of being a detective, which I did. The members in this squad did what I joined to do, doing their best to stop or at least minimise the number of children being abused. And in the two months that I was there, I remember times when I I just wanted to take the kids that I was dealing with home. I just wanted to show them a warmth and a love that they had probably never known and possibly never would. I wanted to show them that not everyone is an abuser and treats them in the way that they thought was normal. I remember one little kid being told that they had to sit on a mat outside the front door like you would a dog because they hadn't done what they'd been told to do or listening to unimaginable suffering that these kids told us about sexual abuse and cruelty just from very deprived, sadistic 
and what I would describe as pathetic individuals. I think most of you would agree with me. I was only at this squad two or three months, but I knew the minute I arrived that it was the type of work that I wanted to be a part of and to be involved with. What I saw and learned from the amazing people in this squad exposed me to a world I never knew existed, or maybe I just didn't want to think about. But Chris saw more than many of us will in his 36 years with Victoria Police. And of those 36 years, Chris spent 25 being one of Australia's preeminent sexual crime investigators, heading many other squads and task forces, investigating serial murder, rape and abduction of both adults and children. One of the investigations I remember Chris being involved in, uh, who the media dubbed Mr Cruel, a serial rapist, a child rapist in Melbourne, who raped three young girls in the late 80s, and he's still the prime suspect in the abduction and murder of a fourth girl, Carmen Chan. He's never been caught. And this type of investigation is the level of expertise that we're talking about with Chris. When Chris retired, he formed his own company, uh, Strategic Questions, where he could follow his passion in investigative interviewing, and he now trains nationally and internationally in investigative interviewing, sexually motivated crime, crime scene examination, and effective communication. Now, that is a wealth of knowledge. Uh, So thanks for your time today, Chris, and um, have you had a nice Christmas? Yes, first of all, uh, thank you for the invitation, Narelle. Uh, wonderful Christmas, and I hope that your listeners have also had a wonderful Christmas. Yes, I hope so too. It's um, been very different. I saw, uh, I've caught up with my sister, who's been one of my sisters, who's uh, comes from Cairns, and I haven't seen her for two years. So um, I hope, as you say, a lot of the listeners have been able to catch up with family that um, this bloody COVID has stopped us yes. <laughs> doing over the years. But, yeah, so anyway, thank you, Chris. And I believe you're on holidays and you've taken time out of your holidays to talk to us. So that's an extra thank you. Oh, that's fine. I'm, I'm, uh, it's, a, it's a topic and subject that I'm uh, happy to speak to anywhere, anytime, to anybody including you, Narelle. (laughs) (laughs) Even me. (laughs) (laughs) I I meant that in the best possible manner. I know you did. I know you did. So thank you. So let's start off that I suppose nearly everyone in Victoria um, has an opinion or had an opinion on who they thought Mr Cruel was. And I think even at one stage a policeman was a a point, a, a person of interest. So And I know you spent hundreds of hours on this task force and you oversaw the day-to-day running of much of it. So do you have an idea of who Mr Cruel might be? The short answer to that, Narelle, is no. Um, Over the years, uh, I I mean, even up until my retirement, I was still working on that particular investigation, not exclusively, but but, uh, I was working on that investigation and... um, over that uh, 25-year period, there were a number of people that we spoke to or interviewed who fitted a number of the traits we were looking for. Um, but uh, I, uh, to my knowledge, there is nobody I would say is the prime suspect. That's amazing, isn't it, to think that he has 
abducted or uh, um, assaulted, sexually assaulted, so many. Uh, and I believe he's also a suspect for a few others that uh, hasn't really sort of um, come to light. Would that be right? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, that investigation, the difficulty from an investigative point of view with that investigation is that um, there was really no forensic evidence. Yeah. Um, no DNA. And, of course, DNA was in its infancy in, yeah. in those days, but there was no DNA. Uh, there was no, so consequently, uh, it, it, you're starting from a long way back. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, sadly, there, are, there is a large number of men who have the capacity, the capability and the inclination to commit such a crime. Or series of crimes. So we interviewed uh, oh, hundreds, hundreds of people over the years. We we um, searched over thirty thousand houses, for example. Um, we charged many people with a lot of sexually motivated crimes. Uh, I think somewhere around eighty people, uh, from uh, up up to and including abduction and rape, but. Um, I, I don't believe uh, that we ever spoke to the person responsible. We may well have, um, yep. but uh, I don't believe that we spoke to the person responsible. But what we did do at the time was to highlight the depth and the criminality that was out there involving the sexual assault of children. And um, mm. uh, that task force singularly changed a number of, uh, of um, crimes against children and brought them to the fore, such as um, child pornography uh, wasn't an offence at the time of itself. Uh, stalking wasn't an offence. Sexually motivated stalking wasn't an offence. And there were a number of other offences uh, that related to children specifically, but sex crimes generally, that uh, weren't on the books at the time. Mm. Uh, but as a consequence of the task force, they are now very firmly a part of our uh, criminal um, uh, criminal laws. Mm. You know what concerns me, and I'm sure it would concern most people listening, is that you just said then that you interviewed, um, I'm sure you said hundreds mm. or over a hundred well, well over people 100. in... Yeah, in relation to just this um, series of offences. Yes. So that means that there is at l that many people that could have done it that you were aware of. Yes. Like, that's a lot of people. And these are uh, people, uh, men, going into, uh, like, uh, getting into a house, abducting the child and, like, uh, tying up other members of the family, like that is serious stuff. And, you you know, you've got over 100 that you interviewed. That's pretty scary, isn't it? Well, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, but it's a reality. Um, uh, for what value statistics are, we know that the vast majority of uh, people who assault 
sexually assault children uh, are not of the disposition to abduct those children. Right. Now, the issue then becomes, well, uh, uh, how many have we got? Well, the international estimates are somewhere between perhaps 3 and 5% of the of that criminal element will physically abduct children. Now, that's not a very high percentage, but if we look at um, the large number of children each year who report sexual assault, mm. particularly from strangers I'm talking about, um, you know, we are talking about a large number of uh, men, almost exclusively men. Uh, that's the scary part of it. And uh, the Royal Commission into Institutionalised Child Sexual Assault touched on, on that issue uh, and sadly didn't, uh, it didn't have the uh, imprimatur to go further. But um, that's something, the broad issue of child sexual assault is something that still hasn't been resolved in our community and uh, it's something that still hasn't, the, the, the sad dark reality still hasn't been given sufficient uh, sufficient publicity, unfortunately. It, it's such an abhorrent offence, isn't it? And I think that's why it's a difficult subject for a lot of people to think about, to discuss. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it is an abhorrent, I, I can't think of a, a worse offence than offending against uh, children and even worse, vulnerable children. But unfortunately, it, it happens in our society and we isn't it sad that we've actually got these task forces and, and specialist squads, not just here, all over the world, that um, specialise in people that offend against children. Well, it, it, it challenges our safe, secure collective view that adults protect children. Yeah. And uh, it lays bare the reality that uh, some adults out there do not protect children. Yeah. And so, Chris, when you were involved in this investigation and you were, you know, running it a lot of the time or assisting in running it, um, did you, because you've got kids of your own, Yes. Did you ever worry about their safety? Like, did it affect you in that way? Uh, no, it didn't. Uh, perhaps I'm, I'm fortunate. Um, I was able to um, apply the mentality that, look, uh, I'm doing this to protect my children. Yeah. Uh, and uh, all children. So um, that was my, that was, that was, that was, my standard, and um, so consequently, I, I worked on the positives, not the negatives, from my own personal perspective. Were you able to compartmentalise your work to your home? Because that's something I had great difficulty in doing, and I was just thinking as I was reading the introduction and saying. You know, I just wanted to take those kids and take them home, and like that even shows back then that I 
I couldn't uh, compartmentalise it very well. Uh, Did you have trouble compartmentalising? It doesn't sound like you did. Well, no, don't be too hard on yourself, Narelle. Your emotional response was natural, normal, and in many ways expected. Uh, Mm. It's what we do after we um, deal with the children. Mm. It's how we manage after the event. Um, and, and this is where uh, policing, like many other highly and personally intimate uh, professions, it's the afterwards that is the challenge to the individual. Mm. Uh, when you go home, when you're sitting there in your quiet moment, when you're sitting down watching a movie and all of a sudden um, start blubbering and you don't know why. Uh, this is where we've not been very good at dealing with, when I say we, where, where our institutions have not been very good in helping us to deal with these issues. So, yes, I, I, certainly I compartmentalised it in uh, practical terms. Um, but uh, it never goes away. It never goes away. And, and we, no. we, we live in a world, thankfully, where post-traumatic stress disorder and, and akin disorders have received the attention that they sadly have missed out on for since the beginning of time. Yeah. I, I think that we, we're more accepting of it, but I th- would you agree that now I think we refer to it, or I might have it by the, I might have it wrong, but I think we refer to it now as emotional intelligence or yeah. part of yeah. emotional intelligence. And, and I know when I first joined. It's a cold phrase, isn't it? Emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence, it, it's, it's trying to scientificalise something yeah. that can't, be, can't really be put into words, but we all know what it means. Yeah, we do. But I know that from the minute I joined, it was almost, oh, not beaten out of me, but it was something that wasn't embraced. It was something that, um, pardon me, but, you know, they'd go, harden the F up, Fraser. You know, don't start that. It was very... It just wasn't acceptable when I first started. It wasn't acceptable because your behaviour, they feared, would bring out their own. It was a defence mechanism. Yeah. Um, so, uh, look, look, by all means, be harsh on the behaviour. Mm. But um, I'm confident that, that many who spoke those harsh words really didn't mean them the way that they'd come out. Oh, and you're right, Chris. It, it was a different, well, obviously it was a very different world back then and I do think a lot of times that they probably felt like I did but you didn't show it. It was just uh, something you didn't do. You know, it wasn't the right thing to do. You had to be exactly. tough. Exactly. So. Uh, I'd argue that it was put under the banner of that word, uh, that beautiful old word, stoicism. 
So true. But anyway, so uh, yes, look, um, uh, yes, we have a job to do and we must be professional, but we also have a responsibility to take care of our own needs after hours. Mm. And that's, that's the part that I think, sadly, many of us, and particularly it's the most caring that suffer the most. Uh, yes, I've, I've heard that before. But, but also, it's not something I don't know about you and your wife, but it's not something the terrible things that we see at work, say at child exploitation, at, at um, uh, Operation Spectrum, which was the investigation into Mr Cruel. They are not the things that uh, you listen and, and hear about and know about. It's not something that you can go home and talk to your wife about or my husband because I felt it was hard enough to try and put it out of my mind, let alone say it again, but to somebody who isn't in that world and it would distress them so much. So, so much of it I kept to myself. Did you find you didn't talk to your wife or you did? Oh, I did. Um, uh, you know, there were some things that you probably wrongly wanted to protect your family from. Uh, yeah. But oh no, look, I, I was very, and, and I think that really a, a lot of my own individual success goes down to my wife, who was, uh, you yeah. know, we hear about rocks and, and all this sort of business, but very much so. She, she was somebody I could speak to about anything and everything, and I did, uh, yeah. and I still do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but there's always a but. <laughs> yeah. There is, there is. And for the listeners out there, I don't know Chris's wife very well, but, you know, you can just tell with people that they're strong and they are a rock. And I always felt that your wife was like that. But anyway, so Chris, when, when did your passion for protecting and helping abused and neglected children begin and why? Like, because what we're talking about, just what we've just spoken about, there's a lot of police who can't get involved with child exploitation or um, abused children because it's so troubling. So where did that passion come from? I, I suppose from the outset, I, I joined the police force because, uh, as I've said many times before, I, I didn't like and I don't like bullies. Uh, and I, I'm a, I must admit I have been accused of it myself, but uh, I, hopefully I haven't in reality been a bully. But um, bullying always seemed to take advantage of the, of the vulnerable. And um, by going into policing, uh, I, it assisted me personally to try and um, to try and do my own little thing about that. And uh, that, that was really the reason I joined the police force in the, force in the first place. And um, sexual assault, uh, the, the abhorrence of sexual assault is, is an extension of, of this same bullying. It's taking advantage of the vulnerable 
Um, so it, it just sort of fitted into place. And it was a fluke in a lot of, lot of regards. Uh, in 1989, a very good friend of mine uh, who I'd worked with uh, over the years was put in charge of the rape squad. Uh, which had just been set up at Victoria Police. You know, it's an unfortunate name, I appreciate, but that's the reality of what it was. And um, uh, he asked me if I was interested in in coming over there, and uh, I put in for the job, and I and I got it. So I, I mean, I, I I didn't have any uh, any pre-existing view of it. In fact, I didn't know much okay. about it, but I had investigated yeah. quite a number of sexual assaults at uh, Preston. CIB as it was at the time, so I did know what I was getting into, but it was fascinating uh, because I'd learnt snippets about the behaviours of offenders, of sex offenders, whilst at the suburban CI, and uh, um, I thought, you know, now, now that's interesting because it had a lot to do with uh, social psychology and the the behavioural, uh, that area called the behavioural sciences, which um, I would argue is they are not sciences so much as um, uh, behavioural uh, probabilities. Um, so that whole area of, of, of human behaviour I found quite interesting at a personal level. And so professionally going into... Investigating sexual crime gave me that uh, that uh, professional interest that helped to um, make me somewhat impervious to some of the some of the the more obscene um, yeah. uh, emotional effects that this, these yeah. crimes have on people. Um, plus, as you said earlier, my children were young. They were young. My daughter was around the age of Carmen Chan. Uh, at the time, Carmen was abducted. So, you know, again, I, 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 I had some sort of personal motivation there to, mm. to do what I could to help solve this crime. So um, to some degree, I fell into it, I suppose. Uh, hello? There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Guess who? Me again. Hey, excuse the interruption, but it's a very important interruption. We've decided to put on a show for you, my listeners, who've hung in there and waited and waited, as we have, to get this thing up and running. The show is called The Groomer, and it's about an investigation that I was part of which centred around the distorted world of a pedophile. It's pretty raw, but educational, where I also talk about online grooming with a special guest and the damage that online grooming, or grooming in general, causes to all those involved. So please come and join me on Saturday, the 19th of March, 2022, at the Village Roadshow Theatre at the State Library, 179 La Trobe Street in Melbourne, 7pm start goes till about 9. The tickets are through Eventbrite. Uh, COVID rules will apply and you know the go. Masks, no kissing, no hugging, no smooches, no holding hands, no personal displays of affection. And that's just for me. (laughs) Hope to see you there. Bye. I've never thought, you said before that you joined, that one of the main reasons you joined because you've never liked bullies. Mm. And, you know, I've never thought of it, but you just said then that sexual assault, sexual offending is a form of bullying, and absolutely it is. I've never thought of it that way. But it's the ultimate in being a bully, isn't it? Uh, Well, absolutely, from an individual perspective, yeah. It, it is abominable. I, I don't pretend to understand the emotional effect that this, this crime has on individuals. I can, I'm an outsider looking in to a large degree. Yeah. However, my perspective is that you have invited me into the most intimate effect that could occur to you 
and uh, I value that and on that basis I'm going to give you everything that I possibly can in order to to at least bring to justice yeah. the person or persons responsible. So that, that's, that, that was my perspective, my viewpoint, and, I, and hopefully I maintained that throughout my career uh, and on occasion was very, very successful with it. Mm. Uh, can we talk a little bit about um, the interviewing of sex offenders um, per se? Mm. Can you tell us a bit about what you've learned and what you teach about interviewing sex offenders and maybe going in a bit into the interviewer mindset of witnesses and suspects? Interviewers, if we talk about the interviewer mindset, well, we should go back to the very beginning of this whole concept of interviewing. Interviewing is about two people communicating together in the first instance. And uh, um, in the words of uh, a detective sergeant from the Metropolitan Police, in 1936, uh, an interview is a conversation with a purpose. And that, that runs true to today. The rules of conversation exist. They exist in an interview as they do in any other discussion, but the what's at value here is slightly more important. So the interviewer must come from a perspective where the focus is solely and exclusively on the interviewee, be it a witness or a suspect. And as I often say to, to our detectives, uh, it's not about you, it's about them. They are the star of the show. They are the people who were present at this crime. And if they're a witness, they're the people who may or may not be able to re recall relevant evidence. And if they're a suspect, they know whether they committed the offence or not. So all of our focus in interviewing is about that person. So I basically, as an interviewer, I have to get my house in place first. Yes. I have to put aside whatever biases, and we all have biases. I have to put aside my own biases, my personal biases, and focus solely on the individual, the topic, and what is said. And... But in order to achieve the best possible information that is gathered, effective communication has got to be the centrepiece. Mm -hmm. Genuineness, respect, concern, allowing a person to speak, all these sorts of qualities we need to have as an interviewer. Mm. Because at the outset, I have to connect with this person, hopefully, in a positive manner in order to allow that person to feel less anxious and able to think clearly and to recall. My role is a conduit. My role is to 
ask the right questions that are going to be that will enable that person to give the best possible recall answers. And that's why I say it's not about us. Yeah. It's about them. And effective communication is, is, is paramount. If I'm not genuine, it'll show to anybody. Yeah, people pick up on that very quickly, Absolutely. don't they, if you're not genuine? Absolutely. Yeah. You don't need a university degree to work that one out. No. However, I've seen some detectives walk into the room, strut their stuff as if they're the most important person in the world. Yeah. With their theatrics and their um, body language that says, right, you're, you're there to help me. Now, as soon as that comes across, uh, most people are going to be feel negative about the person. That creates a barrier, doesn't it? Absolutely. That, that, Absolutely. Yeah, and that's the last thing you want. <laughs> it's the last thing you want. You, what you want to do is to develop rapport. I mean, look, interviewing, there is a process. There are models and there are steps that, that should broadly be followed. That, that's, that's the, that, that's the um, academic side of interviewing. And the quality and standard of the uh, models, the processes that we apply in this day and age are based on many decades of specific research. So they are evidence-based, but they still are probabilistic. That is, the academia tells us what most likely is going to mm. be the case here. Most mm. likely what the personality is going to be. Most likely what line of questioning is going to inspire that person to speak. But it's probabilistic. And that's, that's why we have to be, as individuals, that's why we have to be uh, connected. We have to develop a relationship with that person. Now, it may be as tenuous as, but the reality is that no matter how tenuous the relationship, it is harder to tell a lie to a person with whom you have a relationship. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why we try to develop rapport. The other reason is, or a number of reasons, but other reasons are that we want to actually make the person feel at ease, that we want to create an environment that maximise the opportunity for that person to speak the truth as they understand it. And that applies to witnesses and suspects equally. That we, as I said earlier, we're, we're the conduit upon which the, we, the information is gathered that can ultimately be put to the people who assess guilt or otherwise. So that... We're not the final step in this. We're just the beginning in this whole process. And things such as reciprocation. If you are given a gift by somebody, you feel obliged to return, not the same gift, but give back something that is expressive of your, of your feelings. 
Yeah. So that with effective communication and, and, and effective conversation for the matter is a lot about reciprocation. We take it in turns, don't we, in the rules of conversation. I speak and then it's your turn to speak. I speak and it's your turn to speak and so forth. We have this sort of very general rules that apply to our conversations. Now, what we've been able to do, or the academics and, and experienced police together have been able to do, is put, put together a system or a process whereby I can make it as comfortable as possible for you if you are inclined to speak or to tell the truth, to be able to tell the truth. And there is a, a significant amount of teaching that is available to develop that type of focus. But, but it all begins with somebody who is able to put their own self and prejudices aside and be able to give 100%. Mm. Which, which, and that's not easy, is it? That's not mm. easy. That's not easy. No. That, that's not easy when you're sitting in front of somebody who has uh, sexually assaulted uh, a mother in front of their children, her children, uh, yeah. to sit there or have grabbed a, a, um, two sisters and sexually assaulted them together. I mean, the, you, you have to overcome the reality of that. Mm. to be able to get into what is happening in this person's life. Because at the end of the day, most sex offenders, when they are not sexually offended, are pretty well your average Joes in the street. Not all, but most. So how do you, um, how do you differ interviewing a sex offender than say, I don't know, a, an armed robber. What's the difference? I mean, I know. Sorry, I'm, I don't mean to say. Yeah, it, no, I know. Yeah. I know what the difference yeah, is. But yeah. can you explain to the listeners how do you interview a sex offender differently to an armed robber? What are the yeah? What are the differences? Okay. Um, there are a lot of differences and a lot of similarities. For example, uh, entitlement. An armed robber run, goes into, let's say, they rob a bank. They go into the bank feeling that they're entitled to that money. They've got a right to it because they've had a bad upbringing and uh, people have treated them badly and uh, they've had a few bridges they couldn't cross throughout life. Yep. With a sex offender, oftentimes... Entitlement applies also. Uh, I'm entitled to do this because I'm a man. Yep. Uh, women are weak. A woman is there for my edification. Yeah. Child is a chattel. A wife is a chattel. Okay. Um, different distorted cognitions such as... Um, I'm doing this to the child in a loving way uh, so as they're not going to end up having their first sexual encounter down on a river bank with a pimple-faced kid. I'm here 
showing them love and caring for them. Mm. Uh, these sorts of disorders, uh, distortions. The, the children, children are children are pure. Children haven't been stained uh, or haven't suffered from the human stain, so they're pure, and they're 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 cherubs, and this this type of mentality. These are cognitive distortions, uh, but how emotionally disordered they are as opposed to are they just using these as excuses? I'm not so certain. But however, yeah. so for example, if I was interviewing a, a, a child rapist, child molester, and uh, they were saying to me, how could you possibly accuse me of this? I, I've, I love children. I've been a coach at this for so many years and I've been a teacher here for so many years and I've got an award for this and so forth. How could I possibly do it? Something like that. Yeah. So most people say, oh, well, how do I deal with that? Well, we deal with that by using their commentary back at them. Yeah. So, well, I'm not asking you how you could do it. Did you do this? I'm not, I'm not suggesting that the person that you are in day-to-day -day activity is an evil person at all. What I'm saying to you is that the the challenge of your thoughts has got to the stage where you couldn't resist the temptation. Mm. That's all. And that what you have explained is quite common for child molesters. Yeah. Yeah, that you're right, because they do, uh, a, a lot of them do love I was going to say genuinely, that sounds wrong, but a lot of them do love children and it's their, the way they express their love for the children which is wrong. Yeah. Uh, Behaviour. Yeah. Behaviour. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in, 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 there is no offence for thinking of having sex with a child. There is no offence of that in itself. Once you move towards living out that fantasy, yes, there is, which leads me on to the probably the the, the key the key uh, Achilles heel of, of a sex offender, uh, and that is fantasy. Yeah. Uh, all sex crime is fantasy based. People don't just wake up at 40 years of age and say, I'm going to go out and rape somebody. I'm going to go out and abduct somebody. I'm going to go out and have sex with a child. Yeah. There is a background history, depending on how old the person is in their circumstances, but the f it is, and its, it's hub is fantasy, fantasy-driven. And the sad reality with sex offenders is that you can never live absolutely your fantasy. Mm. so that they're never fully satisfied. They're never fully satisfied. And um, 
this can drive them to keep going and keep going and keep going. And uh, sadly, uh, many, many never stop until, until they're put in jail for the protection of the community. But these are the things that you've got to have in the back of your mind when you're speaking to them because they will give you cues. Yes. Uh, to probe. And if you don't take up those cues, uh, then you've missed an opportunity. And, and that's the challenge of, of interviewing sex offenders, um, that so much of the offending is, it's not so much about the actual crime, albeit that's vital. It's a lot about often, it's a lot about the preparatory behaviour and the post behaviour. Um, they give a lot of insight into the potential of this individual to commit these or to have committed these crimes. And they know it. They know what they've done. Yeah. They know what they've done. Um, but what you have to be able to is to show them that you're basically onto them. And there's lots of different ways of doing that. I'm just thinking to myself then, if a sex offender said to me what you just said then, you know, how could you say that to me? I love children. Hmm. I think the next question I would probably ask is, tell me more about that love for children. Now, there's a lot of people, a lot of detectives, a lot of police who couldn't bear to hear that so they don't ask it. Would you agree with me with that? Like it's a Absolutely. difficult... Absolutely. I mean, that, that, that is, that, that's where our active listening comes into it. They have given us the cue. Absolutely, they have. I love children. Oh, now, I've got to run with that. And um, your follow-up question certainly would be, tell me more about or not tell me more about that. Tell me about your love of children. Yeah. Because you brought yeah. it up. That's right. You brought it up. Therefore, you feel obliged, you should be obliged to elaborate. Yeah. And to listen to that explanation is sometimes well, not sometimes, most times, 100% of the time, very, very difficult to listen to. But as you talk about, it's getting into their psyche as to, and it just might explain things, but also they start talking, or this is what I've found, they start talking because they they think you are interested and there's not many people that a sex offender can talk to, is there, about how they love children and what they want to do with them. No, no, indeed, that's right, and that's right. And again, and this is where the challenge for your listeners comes into it. And um, you've got to say to yourself, if I start showing my distaste of what this person has just said, yeah, that's going to adversely affect where this interview goes. That's right, because. The sex offender knows that he is considered the lowest piece of life on this earth by the majority of the community. And they expect to be abused by police. 
They expect to be lied to by police. They expect to be treated as low lives by police. And the challenge for police is to not do that. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, they want to talk about it. They don't like themselves because of what they are necessarily, not all, but a lot. They don't like themselves. They don't like their behaviour. And a lot would tell you, if they were honest, that they would prefer not to be of that persuasion. So they want to talk about it. They want to see what they can do, how, how they can, or what strategies they can put into place to stop themselves doing this again or alter their, their perspectives. Now, we as police, we're not psychologists, but we have to be mindful of the psychology around the, the offending in order to do justice to the interview and, most importantly, the victim. So that's a wrap for this week. But the second part of my interview continues next week with Chris, where he shares with us his invaluable insights into investigative interviewing and obtaining the best possible, most accurate information from an interview subject. He might actually surprise you with who he considers to be the most evil man he ever encountered in nearly four decades as a policeman. So until next week, stay safe and take care. Hey, it's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Hello, guess who? Just a quick interruption here to let you know you can now become a Narelle Fraser Interviews Patreon. How exciting! Simply go to www.patreon, that's P for Peter, A T R E O N for Narelle.com and search for Narelle Fraser Interviews. And to all of you out there who continue to support me, thank you so much. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.